Welcome to Dwight in Shining Armor, The Sunken Kingdom, the behind-the-scenes podcast about everything Dwight. I'm Josh Breslow, and I play Yakopo. Today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 7, Queen Tree, written by Leanne H. Adams and Brian J. Adams, directed by Frank Waldeck, guest starring Evan Hofer, Pierce Joza, Jorge Rodriguez, and Travis Love. As always, we have a blanket spoiler alert, so if you haven't watched Season 2, Episode 7 yet, stop whatever you're doing. You can leave the maiden in the sticky bog a bit longer. She's not going anywhere. And watch Queen Tree, either on BYU TV or at BYUtv.com slash Dwight. A quick recap. Rival woodcutters are hacking down oak trees all over the woods, trying to find the valuable Queen Tree. Greta would do anything to protect her mother, so she goes on a quest with the help of Dwight, unintentionally Clodwig, and her first love, Emelian, to find the rival woodcutters and stop them. Now that everyone's been brought up to date, let's get to our guests. Back with us is co-creator, co-showrunner of Dwight and Shining Armor, Brian J. Adams. Hello, Josh. Hello again. Thanks for having me back. Things are coming back. And for the first time ever, we have our crazy, talented production designer, Cody Bush. Hey, Cody. Hey, Josh. Hey, thanks for coming. And also for the first time ever, we have the glue behind the scenes, the man who keeps the train on the tracks, script coordinator and executive assistant to the showrunners, Nicholas DeMondi. Hello. Welcome. Ooh. Welcome, everyone. This is intro. fun. Oh, yeah. You can pay me later. This is great. Um, so, Cody, I'd love to start with you. Um, before we get into the episode proper, you're the production designer for Dwight and Shining Armor. What does that mean? Well, that's a great question. Um, actually, I think most people, <clears throat> pardon me, um, most people don't really know what a production designer does, right? Some producers even have a, yeah. a What, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> um, but as a production designer, it's my job to make sure that everything in front of the camera fits what the story is trying to tell. So although I may not have a hand in it, for example, I need to coordinate with the costumes. I need to coordinate with the stunts, with VFX, with props, everybody. But with that said, anything that is placed in front of the camera whether that is part of a set piece or it's it's just something that happens to be a, a, a key element to the storytelling, I'm supposed to be the one that kind of vets that stuff out and makes sure that it fits what we're trying to do. So you oversee every visually creative department on the show. Well, I, I don't oversee it necessarily, but I okay. collaborate. Okay. So um, everybody, uh, we have such a talented creative team across the board that um, for for me, it, it's it's been an amazing experience because of that, um, that I can allow people to stretch their creative muscles and, and bring something to the table that I don't necessarily have to put my finger in. But I still need to kind of keep track of it all just to make sure that one department is not doing something that another department's trying to do right. or something that actually counter or it's counterproductive to the storytelling. Sure. So you're there making sure that everything coalesces and moves together with with the correct look and feel of the show. There you go. That's a good way to put it. Very cool. Nice. Um let's let's talk uh Nick. Bring it. Let's uh <laughs> bring it, Josh. You're both the script coordinator and the executive assistant to Brian and Leanne. Your information is correct. <laughs> Aren't those two very distinct jobs and how do you do both of them at the same time so uh they are distinct but they complement each other so there's a there's an ebb and flow to uh what part of a script needs to be coordinated um and that will ebb and flow with where we are at in production where we're at in the writing process 
Uh, and uh, that will, when it flo- when it ebbs, uh, normally that's when other things for helping Brian and Leanne uh, do life and be uh, the showrunners. That's when that usually kicks up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, they're super important people. They work like 15 <laughs> hours a day. And if they had to do like the stupid stuff, like go to the bank and blah 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 blah, they can't be like, "Hey guys, cut! I gotta, I gotta go to the, I gotta go to the bank." <laughs> that, that doesn't work when you have a show that's this complex, uh, this full of energy, and has you know, you know, this much going on. Uh, you, they have to be there 100% of the time. So I'm there to make sure that they are there 100% of the time. They may regret that. They may hate me for that. <laughs> but there's no breaks in TV, kids. No, so. that's, no there aren't. And you are always there. What? Um, so let's talk a little bit about what it means to be a script coordinator because yeah. you're talking about part of the script that needs to be coordinated. What does that mean for you? Okay, so this is great. There's a uh, position on set known as the script supervisor or script D. Uh, and nine times out of ten, when I say I'm a script coordinator, people think that I'm doing that job. Uh. That job is way harder than my job. <laughs> I could never be a script supervisor. They keep track of what people are saying, where they're pointing, what fork, uh, what hand they're holding their fork in. I can't do that. Um, <laughs> I'm essentially the script supervisor from everything that happens from when Leanne and Brian finish the first rough draft of the script and send it off to the network. All those changes and notes that happen uh, as the cha- as the script changes, the, uh, it changes color right before our very eyes. <laughs> uh, it'll go from white to blue, and then all the other colors of the rainbow. Um, and if it gets really weird, it goes to like double white and mm-hmm. double blue. Double blue. Yeah, yeah. Double golden rod. Yes, if you're in double golden rod, <laughs> you're God in help trouble. You. God help you. Uh, so yeah, I track all the changes that happen in the script uh, when a big change happens that a department like art production designer <laughs> when that something big changes i'm like hey cody uh leanne changed the uh queen log to a queen tree we, you know, so that didn't happen but that's a, a yeah. example so yeah i track all those changes up until the moment that we start rolling camera very cool that's awesome um and since we're at it brian yes you're one of the showrunners of Dwight in Shining Armor. True. And I Wait, don't what? believe... Oh, yeah, this is him. This is the guy you've been working for. It's nice that you guys are meeting finally. Um, I don't think we've ever actually addressed this, um, and I'm sure some of the listeners have figured it out by context, yeah. but what is the role of a showrunner? That... How much time do you have? What, is, what isn't the role? <laughs> I, I, it's funny. I read a lot of books, uh, and I just finished a book called Herding Tigers, uh, which is a really cool book about managing creative teams. Uh, and it, it's not about the entertainment industry at all, but he, the author, as he was trying to describe you know, the difficulty of managing creative teams, he... he interviewed a, a showrunner. Uh, I think it was a showrunner for Sons of Anar- Anarchy or something like that. And he was he was describing... Kurt Sutter? I yes. believe so, yeah. Uh, and he was describing the, to a bunch of people who aren't in this industry what a showrunner does to try and explain it. And as he was describing, I was like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there's a, a ton of responsibility. At, at the end of the day, Leanne and I uh, created the show. Uh, we we pitched the show and sold the show, and then we are in charge of either writing every episode, um, or uh, or supervising the writing of the episode, and then managing. As Nick said, there's lots of revisions to every script. You know, so this last year we shot 20, 20 episodes. So that's twenty scripts, and there's tons of draft of of, of every script, uh, and then we're in charge of 
prepping in the, the, the pre-production of, of every every script you know working with the director and every department head uh, you know to coordinate what's going to happen and then one of us is always uh, always on set uh, during production um, and uh, then after it's over then we go through the entire you know we supervise the entire post-production process we sit with the editors you know and then once the edit is locked we worked with the visual effects artist and the colorist and the sound designer and, and the com- composer and so at the end of the day it's 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 everything that happens crosses our desk and it's our job to to do the story calculus to make sure that everything on the screen is telling the story and that it makes sense that it doesn't contradict something that's going to happen in the past happened in the past or going to happen in the future because it's our job to know where we've been and where we're going and to make sure we don't you know do some sort of contradiction uh, and also that um, that it 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 tells that it's true to the story that we created. And, and there's a lot of decisions that come into that. Thankfully, there are two of us. Um, and But it's, it's we have this joke whenever we're walking around set, like we'll be walking you know, from our office to to set or from our office to a meeting, and people will literally run up to us and say, <laughs> you know, do, do you want the red one or the blue one? And, and so, I mean, if we write in a script, you know, Hexla puts a blindfold on, um, they, you know, that department knows they have to come up with a blindfold, but they want to make sure that it works. And and the, and their su- blindfolds are surprisingly complicated. <laughs> and we actually ran into a problem with that, which I won't get into. But so they want to make sure that that we've signed off on it. That way, if there is a problem, um, it's on us, not on them. <laughs> and and that's kind of the our 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 job. Uh, the buck stops with us. And that sounds great because if it's good and everyone loves it, like yay us. But if it's bad and everyone hates it, then our heads are the ones in, in the chopping block. Sure, you know we're the ones who report to the to the network uh, if there are any problems, and there are always problems. So mm-hmm. so anyway, I don't know. That was rambling. No, <laughs> rambling that's that's, that's great. It's I mean, it sounds like you cover everything you oversee everything and yeah. make sure everything moves smoothly in the end so also just to jump in right there for changing yeah. dialogue sometimes we'll be in the middle of shooting an episode and we'll need to a problem will come up and we need to pivot and have the character say something to yeah. cover something that can or cannot happen anymore so then brian and leanne will come to me the script coordinator and say hey we got to change this dialogue for tomorrow's scenes and yeah. then i go back i change the script do a new color and run around to a copier and flailing my arm, like, uh, yeah, the Team America secret signal, or whatever. There's a new color of this, and that has to be delivered before we shoot. So yeah. that's uh, like that can kick off a lot of things, and it'll affect a lot of departments. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. I make a lot of people mad. I was gonna say that that sounds very powerful. You're like, I'm gonna change this and to a but, yeah. and all of a sudden, eight people have things to do, and yeah. we chop down another yeah. tree to print a script. Exactly. Speaking of chopping down trees. Um, <laughs> Cody, <laughs> Cody, talk, talk to me about the the location and the creation of the queen tree in this episode. Okay, this particular episode of all the episodes, all forty that we have shot, is probably the uh, the least production design involved. Mother Nature was in the production well, exactly, de- design. Exactly. However, there, there were different um, logistical issues that we had to counter. Okay. Uh, for example, um, in Truthberry, where we are introduced to the Queen Tree, that was part of the season one, season two block that was shot in Salt Lake. And Queen Tree was shot in Hiram, Georgia. Right. Uh, two very distinct geographic locations. The looks are different. Um, and the tree is very specific, obviously, to the story. It's a, it's a character. Yeah, it is. It's, it's uh, Greta's mom. I, I, mean, I, I mean, it has its own title of a script. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but what we had to do, uh, one of the complications was trying to tie the two worlds together. 
and make the, 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 the first queen tree and the second queen tree kind of come together in a realistic way, like Brian was saying, where you, you kind of need to, to patch these things up, right? <clears throat> but once we found our queen tree in Georgia, uh, then it was a matter of tying various outdoor <clears throat> locations together. So I, I want to say, and I haven't seen the final cut of Queen Tree yet, mm-hmm. sorry. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but I want to say that we shot in four or five different locations to tie that sequence together. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, that in itself, it's more of a logistical thing, right? Mm-hmm. So with, with each one of these outdoor locations, we have to go, we have to um, clear uh, dangerous Shrubbery, for example, um, one, one poison of the, oak. Yeah, shrubbery. Well, one, one of the, the uh, co-teams within my team is the greens department, and so uh-huh. anything that is tree or earth or uh, natural related, um, the greens guys are taking care of it, right? So there are our on-call landscapers and and whatever you want to call them. Um, they're miracle workers, though. Because they are. We we had it's to go into job. some rough terrain in Georgia and deal with things that a lot of people had never dealt with. <laughs> so it was clearing the poison ivy. It was t- making sure that the the bugs and the rodents and other things the snakes snakes. snakes. Yep. <laughs> um, and, and then once we, we we cleared a path so that equipment and people could could work um, safely, then we had to make sure the big fight sequence at the Queen Tree was also covered mm-hmm. um and so same thing we had to go in and clear the brush and take care of all the uh the obstacles but then we also had to cover up a lot of the existing landscape so that may sound like just a whole lot of blah but um no, that, that was that was probably the the biggest element to this episode uh and then we did have of course the uh the sticky bog yep right yep so from a from a production design standpoint, this is probably the the you know the, the key to this episode, right? So, um, you're talking about special effects, VFX, stunts, greens, wardrobe, props. Everybody is involved in this element where uh, Claude Wig comes up with this great plan to help Emilian um, uh, win the heart of his love, right? And and. Claude Wig is awesome. He's we we all know and love him. Um, all of his plans, you know, they, they could use some. I have a plan, <laughs> especially since the pilot, right? The first yeah. plan we ever saw was a plan to woo a princess. Exactly, and exactly. And poorly conceived. Please don't say woo. He, he's he's consistent, if nothing else. Um, but so he comes up with a great plan to throw Greta into the sticky bog, and Amelia's going to rescue her from the the bog monster. Um, so again, like for, for us, we had to make sure that, um, we had an area where she could fall. She had to fall in some non-organic, very specific, uh, material from our effects department. It's called methicil. What is that? What is methicil? It's, um, it's meth. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's basically. That's how she climbed out of the pit. It's it's basically like a slime. It's food based that's in the form of a gelatinous slime. Okay. So it it gives that texture, but when when it got into her her mouth and her eyes, it's not going to burn her eyes. Right. She's not going to get weird viruses and stuff like that. So she falls in a puddle of soylent green. What's what's (laughs) under the what's under the sticky? 
Um, all right. Well, you know, Soylent Green is people. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which <is> bodies. Oh, <laughs> there are more bodies, just not in slime form yes. yet. That makes sense. Um, so <laughs> makes sense now. What, what we ended up doing was we uh, we we found an area that was going to work for us logistically, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then we had to go in and, and same thing. We had to make sure that we we scraped enough of the surface area to remove any kind of questionables. Um, and then what happens is we we put some plastic down, we put our stunt pad down, we put a dirt skin mat, mm-hmm. which is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a fake skin of dirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that goes the methicil. We added some rubber mulch. We threw in a few sprinkles of some moss. Um, and, and there you go. You've got yourself a sticky bog. And what's crazy to me is you started this by saying this was the least you've yes. had to do on the episodes. <laughs> yes. And we're talking about a tree that you had to uh, stitch together with uh, areas of the woods and now the sticky bog. Uh, yeah. Your job is so crazy to me it is um all right so so queen tree had a bit of a different process because it was a late addition as cody mentioned to season two Mm -hmm. and in this case it was shot alongside seasons three and four which we just wrapped at the end of september Mm -hmm. so production worked their butts off to get this episode out how did this work and why was queen tree added to season two caitlin's performance at the end of truthberry left us all reeling, as we talked about in another episode. She brought so much to that. And obviously we knew that we were going to go there in the script, but what she did to uh, take that to the next level uh, of just emotional impact left us realizing we can't just end that episode and not go back to it. I mean, this is a big deal. Greta's just found her mother. Greta's just had this incredible uh, you know, emotional experience with her mother and bonding with Dwight. Uh, and, and we can't just not come back to that uh but we hadn't planned on it until we saw that so we shot the 20 episodes last year and we had to do some move some puzzle pieces around uh because we knew we had to come back to the queen tree it was a big deal so that's really interesting so it wasn't that it was a necessary exposition thing it was that you guys were so moved by how truthberry ended in caitlin's performance that you just couldn't miss the opportunity of dealing with yeah. this thing we just put we, in front we, of we her. couldn't miss it and we also felt like if we no. if we did miss it you know we would get pushback from you know from the fans to be like well, you can't just move on something huge just happened so we knew we had to deal with the queen tree so we had a whole episode called the queen tree and we we did shoot it uh this year with seasons three and four and so obviously of the 20 we shot this year that was going to be the first one to deliver we knew that from the beginning so we were going to shoot it first makes sense right sure the problem is uh, <laughs> pierce who plays a million booked the disney movie and so he was booked like the whole time and so we oh, shot no. queen tree towards the end of the 20 that we shot this time and that made it difficult and then it got more difficult because we ran into some serious post-production issues uh with this so uh, queen delivering queen tree to air um in 2019 in the order right after truthberry was the closest we came to missing a deadline we didn't miss a deadline but it, it, it was super sketchy uh and there was uh, <laughs> a lot of fingernail biting and a lot of yelling uh, <laughs> but it, it it made you know we made the deadline but now it's out and, it's out in the world yeah that's crazy uh and very cool yeah. i love how this business works all right so nick um the episode starts by reestablishing the importance of the queen tree to greta it's her mom duh and the will they won't they relationship between her and emilian perfect exposition establishing the a and b stories right off the bat uh nick 
as a writer under the tutelage of the Adamses, what kind of things have you been learning while working on this show? And more importantly, what do you think of Brian and Leanne as writers and generally as human beings? <laughs> Whoa, you better say the right things yeah. here, Nick. <laughs> we'll, we'll, cross. We'll, we'll mute Brian's uh, headphones so he can't hear you. Um, so... I would say generally I do think of them as human beings. That's great. So I would agree with that sense. Okay, okay. Marginal yeah. human beings at best. <laughs> when they reached out to me through people uh, and I got an interview for this job, they were Brian was very straight up. And he's like, look, we you're going to be involved in the show. You're going to be involved in the process. We want your input and we want you to you know fall in love with the show too. And I was like, that's amazing i didn't i was not expecting to hear that from the showrunner that's pretty ideal yeah 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 so i'm like okay cool uh and uh right off the bat i was i shut my mouth and i watched them work so being able to as a writer see seasoned writers execute scripts under the constraints of production was like a master class and like i should have been paying them uh, (laughs) for that experience because like most People just don't understand what, yeah, you can sit in front of a computer and you can type out interior, exterior, blah, 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 blah. And then EXT, night, rain, someone <laughs> someone runs into a tree with their car. Yeah. yeah, that's cool to write. But then to actually execute that is a whole different ball of wax, kid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's night and day. It was amazing. I learned so much. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's one thing to be a part of an amazing show and learn all the time. Uh, but then to have your 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 bosses, the people that you're assisting, be like genuinely amazing people <laughs> makes it a genuinely amazing process. <laughs> so that's all in all. Ah, thank you, Shut up. <laughs> no, no, it's true. This is a very loving uh, show, and we're all lucky for it that. Is, so. It is. It is very lovely. I'm but. not. I'm not surprised that that applies to your experience as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, Cody, what goes into setting up a fallen tree in a large clearing? Because it looked like a huge undertaking. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, fortunately, we were able to find a, a location that actually had numerous felled trees. Oh, really? What we were able to do is is we, again, we, we found our tree. We found our logistical path to get to the tree. And then between point A and point B, we found the perfect yeah. fall fallen tree, felled tree. Oh, wow. That, so that, was a fa- that wasn't a built prop, that huge felled tree? Yeah, that was there. And so, wow. so we had to get, um, you know, different equipment to be able to to move it, we had to cut it down because the one that we, we found was actually twice the size that it ended up being. That's incredible. Um, and so, yeah, it was, again, more of a logistical thing than anything. But um, finding that, and, and of course our director, uh, Frank Waldeck, he also had the vision to be able to take a truncated trunk <laughs> and um, connect that to another shot that that actually shows a much larger tree. So, right. So again, this is the stitching that we were talking about, where um, the the log that we found was probably. I mean, it was still large, and it would it, it took two machines to move it. Um, but the the tree that he got the big shot shooting down was was probably twice the length of that tree. So, oh wow. Yeah. And what about the stump? Did you have to install the stump? Or yes, was we it? did. Yeah. So same thing. Like we found the the perfect stump, mm-hmm. but but we had to go cut the stump drag that over, dig it into the position where it would look like it was part of the tree. And, and again, it, it 
just the cinemagic that came together <laughs> to, to build a tree from five different trees. It was amazing. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. What a great answer. Brian, when you, we, we talked a little bit about in the last episode, how establishing Greta's mother as a tree was kind of a throwaway in episode in season one, episode two, and yeah. then became a big thing. Yeah. What about the rival woodcutters? Because <laughs> those were established in Truthberry. And while that's the episode before that was written a year earlier. Right. And so did you ever think that you would actually have rival woodcutters as your villains in an episode? I hate to pull back the the curtain that much, but yeah, this is another one of those those breadcrumbs we found retroactively. I love that. Uh, I, I mean we the the you know, we thought you were rival woodcutters. Uh, you know, that was a, another one of those jokes and then and then we realized that's something we can go back and build off of and and we did and and then when we realized that we could have uh, an actual Bad guy, an actual rival woodcutter who's you know out to be <laughs> to do nefarious you know acts was was kind of fun for us. It was, it was another one of those things that we that we backed into. Uh, like you said, we uh, you know planned that or we we dropped the rival woodcutter a year earlier, and then we were able to build off of Stoyan uh, you know a year later. So it was it was fun to, to back into that. Yeah, it must have been a gleeful moment to be like, oh, like, here's the answer. We can actually have a rival woodcutter. <laughs> that's, what, that's how we amuse ourselves. I believe that. <laughs> so Greta gets saved by Dwight instead of Emilian from mm-hmm. the sticky bog. And there's a very romantic moment between them mm-hmm. when she looks at him and says, you saved my life. And it's very reminiscent of uh, Wesley pulling Buttercup out of the sand, sand yep. pit. Yep. Um, it seems that they're becoming more and more drawn to each other as the show goes on. What tactics do you employ as a writer to slow down and make deliberate the pace of their relationship? So that that is a a arc that just hugs the horizon line over. We hope uh, at least sixty episodes in a movie. And a movie, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, it's it's our job to uh, you know kind of take one step forward and two steps back and, and just give everyone enough of a tease to, to get the little heart palpitations and especially to have the little girls swoon and, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, but, but not take it, you know, too far too fast because that's, that's the fun of this episode is watching that relationship develop. And as, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the will they, won't they, you know, going back to the moonlighting, uh, the classic we grew up with, if, if you, go too fast, you know, too far too fast in that, it sort of deflates the interest in the relationship. Right. Uh, and it's just, it's it's part of the fun of this show to watch Dwight and Greta, their friendship develop, and they're best friends, and they're in, they've been through a lot of crap together, and they, you know, genuinely, uh, you know, enjoy each other and care about each other on, on a friendship basis, but of course, uh, you know, that naturally, you know, can and does, you know, progress into romantic feelings, but uh, but we, it's, you know, little, little steps at a time. Yeah, I, I mean, it feels especially strong coming on the heels of, well, you're so pretty and adorable on, in yeah. Truth Barry, and it's I, like these back to back, and this very much does feel like a sequel to Truth Barry. <laughs> And and it was it was definitely meant to and, and like I said before that that moment that we ended Truth Barry on where mm-hmm. where they're bonding in a way that they haven't bonded before we have to you know keep keep that story progressing but not not too fast. Got it. Um, how does something like Claudwig's survival outfit come about, Cody? Does that pass your desk as well? <laughs> well, it, I mean everything starts. With the uh, the the brains of the Adamses, right? <laughs> so, it's all their fault. Yes, everything is their fault. Um, so they came up with these. They they come up with various ideas, and and it, it goes through the machine, 
and certain ideas like the honey bear instance mm-hmm. um, get spit out and, and new ideas need to come come about. But the um, when it comes to the survival issue, because I call it an issue because I, I, ha- I have a, 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 a prop master who just, I mean, this tortured him. <laughs> um, he's not a survivalist, and so in, envisioning this was was a, a tough one for him. But uh, it, it was definitely a, a collaboration that def- I would say Leanne really um, put forth the effort to communicate what she wanted to see. Because as these ideas were kind of rolling through of what could be what, the backpack was a thing, mm-hmm. and and you know what exactly he was wearing. Um, she she took the reins on this one for sure mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah for sure and, and of course you know a shout out to uh, Tuesday uh, our costume designer she yeah, and her Tuesday. department had a had a big part in this and some of it was jamming on the day in fact uh, the weird looking boots uh, that Clodwig is wearing <laughs> oh my gosh. I, actually one of the uh, lucky, lucky yeah luck, lucky one of the uh, uh, costume department uh, yeah, love lucky. experts was wearing those boots because like we've talked about we were out in the swamp out in, and it had been raining raining because it was Georgia and and he had Lucky had those on his own shoes to protect his shoes and and I told Lucky I'm like put those on Clodwig those are just so <laughs> perfect and they're so ridiculous so when we get that toe to head shot we start on Lucky's boots that were totally an improv on the day but they just go so perfect with the rest of the madness that Clodwig put you know to, to make himself look like a, a fiendish brute out of everything that you would find in a survival pack I so badly want kids to be Clodwig in the survival outfit for Halloween <laughs> oh, my oh my gosh my I, I mean that <laughs> outfit should be sold in costume stores. Absolutely. I want to see the the uh, the fiendish brute uh, action figure. Yes. <laughs> like the, the special edition action figure. We have some good action figure <laughs> ideas that have come out of this podcast, yeah. definitely. Um, okay, so the team gets beat, uh, but it turns out the queen tree can protect herself. Dwight kitty bandages everyone who needs it, and they part ways with the woodcutters. But Dwight's rival doesn't just coincidentally leave because the tree doesn't need protection. Dwight has proven once again that he can protect the princess. And, by the way, she can clearly protect him as well. So even in the woods, theoretically out of his element, Dwight saves the princess. In a situation where he should be at the mercy of the woods and the people who know it well, how is it that Dwight is still able to prevail? There's an interesting uh, book by Malcolm Gladwell called David and Goliath. Malcolm Gladwell talks in his book, David and Goliath, that sometimes the Goliath character, all the things that make him Goliath, that make him strong, are actually the weakness. Um, and and the David uh, character, ironically, uh, all the things that make him weak turn out to be his strengths. Right, of course, because Dwight brings a survival pack because he can't survive without that. Correct. These other people can, but of course that weakness becomes the strength that yeah. he saves her with. It, it, exactly. And and so that's, I think that's an example of, of this here, that those people who, who look like they should you know, be Goliath, it's, it's their Goliath sort of uh, attributes that, you know, that are really their downfall. But but Dwight, because he's prepared and because, you know, he sees things, he doesn't understand what's going on. He sees things through his own lens. He comes up with oddball you know, solutions. That's a great answer. I love that. All right. Well, that wraps it up for season two, episode seven of Dwight and Shining Armor, The Woo-hoo! Sunken Kingdom, the behind the scenes podcast about everything Dwight. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Josh. You guys are awesome. Fun. You can follow Brian on Instagram at Brian underscore J underscore Adams. You can follow me Nick at Convenient Truth. You can follow the show at Dwight and Shining Armor, and you can follow me at the Josh Breslow. Tune in again next week for season two, episode eight, Invincible. I'm Josh Breslow. Thanks for listening. 
go on an adventure today. It might change your life.